Hi, Michaela, and Happy New Year. Hello, Steve, and Happy New Year to you. <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about just that, in fact, uh, the New Year resolutions and all that sort of thing. So that's the first thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, was New Year's resolutions. Uh, when I say to you New Year's resolutions, what comes to your mind? Mm. Well, we all make them. Not everybody makes them, but many of us make them and many of us break them. And uh, there's reasons for that, which I think is a great thing to discuss because, um, you know, having cycles and rhythms is is quite important. And of course, as part of cycles and rhythms, uh, the new year, even though it's artificial, meaning it's not connected to any natural cycle, it is what we all know, right? It's the beginning of the year. And in, in our calendar, it's the beginning of the year. And it's uh, essentially... Uh, the moment where we kind of feel like we restart or reboot. And, uh, you know, there's many ways uh, to look at that. But of course, one way is that, you know, every Monday is a fresh start of the week. And every year, of course, is a fresh start. And every month, and, you know, there's there's all these um, rhythms that come through the calendar. And the new year, of course, being a very symbolic uh, moment where it feels like something has ended and something else can begin and in any practice or any kind of consideration a strong beginning and a strong end meaning bookends to the activity are super important so it's actually a good thing to do resolutions even though you know a lot of people have a hard time with it but you have to know uh, what kind of resolutions and you also have to know how to actually work with that so um, you can actually stick with it and that's not only true with new year's resolutions but that uh, you know applies to anything you do any practice any activity and of course uh, there's kind of um, ways to be more efficient and also more um, successful I guess for lack of a better word uh, and ways to really set oneself up for failure. So that's what comes to mind when we talk about New Year's resolutions. Well, of course, now I'm curious about what those ways are to set oneself up for success and what those ways are to set oneself up for failure. Yeah, well, I think we'll talk a little bit more of uh, about that as well in a little bit later, because I want to ask you about, you know, creating good habits and creating good practice. But first, the thing to be said, of course, is that whatever it is that one wants to change has to be looked at from the viewpoint of, is it doable? And then if it's doable, how does it need to be broken down so it is, in fact, doable, right? So most people, you know, and it's, it's quite interesting because my entire inbox this morning was all new year's stuff right the cold plunge and the exercise routine and the uh you know the newsletter that gives daily good habits and all of that so there is a there's kind of a groundswell and a kind of a common thing that's happening and in that it's very tempting to uh get a goal going that's quite lofty or that's something that one wanted to do last year and couldn't or uh, refine something and what doesn't work and how we set ourselves up for failure is if it's something that doesn't actually work with uh, the lifestyle or the way that that we are uh, experiencing the rest of our lives 
So for instance, if I say um, I want to, I don't know, hike every day for three hours up to the top of my mountain here, uh, the chances are that I'm not going to be able to do that every day because my life is just not such that I have three hours plus the prep and, and wind down. So that would not be a realistic goal, right? Um, but when people set goals, they set goals like, I want to lose 20 pounds or uh, this year I'm going to write the book or whatever it is. And that's too nebulous. It has to be way, way, way closer in. There can be an end goal. Um, you know, this time next year, I want to be here is a much better way to go. Um, you know, this time next year, I want to be able to uh, climb a, a steep mountain in the Alps on my next vacation, let's say, right? That's your goal. And then from there, you work backwards to something that can actually fit into the day. And so the, the kind of slicing, very fine slicing of the resolutions is one of the ways that we can set ourselves up for uh, success and uh, not failure. And also, the other thing is, if it's one of those goals that's always been a goal and never been really fulfilled, that's pretty much a good sign that that's not a proper goal to pursue for whatever reasons, right? Maybe it's it's not possible or the way we're going at it isn't possible. So if uh, the New Year's resolution goal is one that kind of happens every time for New Year or, or twice a year or birthday and New Year, and it's not happening, then really um, it's a good idea to chuck that goal and perhaps focus on something related, but much more doable. Because clearly, if it hasn't been done for a while, then there has to be some examination as to why that isn't happening. And that could be it's unrealistic, it takes too much time, um, it's not really aligned with the rest of uh, one's life, uh, it has restrictions around money, uh, logistics, or ability. Right? You first have to learn some skills before you can fulfill the goal. So that's those are some of the things to be careful of and to check is that if it hasn't happened in a while, um, it's probably very wise to rejig that goal into something else. Oh, yes, very interesting. And I think when we think about the sort of categories of resolutions, uh, one of the classic self-help ways of breaking this down is health, wealth, relationships. That's one of the classic ways, uh, you know, low grain, admittedly, way of looking at one's life and what one might want to to change or improve and so on. So when I say those categories to you, health, wealth and relationships, I wonder if anything specific comes to your mind. Mm. Yeah, I mean, those are good goals always, right? Uh, depend, it doesn't matter how well into that we are, meaning um, is it um, health in the context of optimizing health are already good to health or is there something specific that somebody wants to achieve or is it fitness or is it weight right all of those are really good goals and it's certainly like I was saying it's not like suddenly miraculously on the first of January it's all gonna go well but it's good to kind of have a reboot or restart that has a moment that's kind of the bookend on the front thing that says, okay, here we go. And then the end of the bookend would be maybe a year, maybe a month, uh, you know, half a year or whatever it is. So it's, it, I think it's good for um, goals to be able to stick is to have the beginning and the end point mapped out, not just the beginning. 
Uh, so maybe it's like for this first month of the year, a lot of people don't drink in January, for instance, right? Or things like that, or say they don't want to drink in January. So um, I just saw somebody post something about that. So, so let's say one month, right? In this month, uh, there's some health goal. Well, then the best thing to do is to break it down day by day, or at least week by week. And it's always good to know what it is that's the outcome at the end of the month and then what it is that needs to be done to achieve that. And I think we'll talk about this later when we talk about how you work with uh, instructing people on daily practice, right? Is it needs to be really, really small goal, right? Really small goal. Can't be anything big, can't be anything lofty, can't be anything that can't be done regularly every day. Otherwise, it's not going to build habits or create lasting change. So having a good health goal is great. And whatever that is can be broken down typically. And once again, right, if you want to, uh, you know, bulk up and gain muscle or lose weight, it's not going to happen in a month, but you can go month by month and and see where you are at the end of the month and then adjust your goal, which is a lot better than one nebulous, you know, year-long open-ended goal. So beginning and end are super important and then daily activity or daily, weekly, you know, monthly activity. When it comes to wealth, that's an interesting one because a lot of people think that when it comes to wealth, well, particularly, I shouldn't say a lot of people, some people in the kind of new, more new agey or, or self-help uh, domain somehow think that wealth has a lot to do with manifestation. And it's, you know, you can think your way into being wealthy. And that's been, you know, well uh, supported by literature. You know, people write books about that and things like that. And while there's certainly an aspect of positive thinking and goal setting and um, you know, visioning, that's, that's super important. It's also important to know that that kind of manifestation only uh, works when there's also very practical steps uh, with it, right? You can't just sit there and manifest. Well, maybe you can, but I've never seen anybody who can just sit there and manifest uh, wealth by thinking about it. So it's good to have affirmations or to do things that get one in, into a wealth mindset, but it's also very important to involve the body and to involve practicality. And particularly with wealth, and the same is also true with relationship, um, the, the important piece is that you have to take a good cold hard look, so to speak, as, at where you are at. And then from there, decide to where you're going. Once again, there's the kind of bookend approach where you're going, okay, I am here. I want to go here. What are the practical steps? And then also what's the attitude adjustment, which is what the manifestation really is, right? Um, you could look at, uh, you know, visualization and ma manifestation as kind of an attitude alignment or adjustment towards your goals and I think that's super useful and I think maybe we'll talk about this next doing something like an embodied manifestation meaning bringing the body in with um, your desire your heart and your mind meaning the things that you envision and also plan is super useful so that all aspects of our being are aligned so I think with wealth it's particularly important to not just 
write some big number on a you know on a post-it and hope that it's somehow happening but that there's some real practical um step by step and also probably skill development and i'm saying this this is also true for for health but in health it's easier to see if you need to work out you have to learn how to work out if you need if you want to make more money you probably have to up level some skills or at least learn more about the managing of money or the the kind of money that you want to get into so there's a there's a very strong skill development aspect and the same is interestingly enough true for relationships regardless if it's a couple who wants to reinvigorate their sex life or uh, somebody who's single and who's ready to start dating there is both uh, a goal where you have to be fairly clear on what it is that you want, a step-by-step -step approach as to how do you get there, uh, but also, and this is particularly important in relationship, an up-leveling of skills. And the up-leveling of skills can be anything from learning how to maintain uh, the kind of attention that that's required to be intimate. And I'm talking intimate, not necessarily sexually intimate, but um, you know, being present with somebody, being actually there with them, uh, giving them open, loving attention. Uh, that's a skill set right there. And then also skill sets around, let's say, the more erotic domain, uh, particularly when it comes to spicing up things again or having forgotten how much, uh, you know, fun it is to actually go out, go travel, go on a date, do something different. So there's skill involved. And uh, you know, surprisingly, a lot of what can be done in the relational domain is actually skill development. It's not it's not that nebulous. And it also is working with the body. So very strongly there embodiment practices and getting into the body and feeling through the body so that um, the body comes to the to the relationship. Well, that's very interesting. I'd like to ask you actually about this embodied manifestation, what it is you mean by that? Yeah, so embodied manifestation versus manifestation right, is essentially adding all the different dimensions of our system into the mix. So typically when people talk about manifestation, they think about affirmations or visualizations, and it's kind of a very heady process where um, you know, you think about things, you write things down, you have vision boards maybe, or, you know, mind maps or things like that. And that's really useful. And it's actually quite uh, astounding how, for instance, a vision board usually plays out. But we supported those, um, you know, those uh, visualizations and affirmations with kind of a somatic and emotional practice where the body and the desire and the devotion and the dedication to something, to one's life gets brought into the mix. And that really kind of turbocharges manifestation because uh, not only can we bring the body to the mix and, and with that, the power and the focus of the body, but also by uh, using embodiment and by allowing the entire being to be in that um, consideration, we can also check if what we think we want is really lined up with the kind of the deeper wisdom of the body or the deeper wisdom of the being. So often uh, we linear movement mostly, right, but also other forms of movement and also kind of more 
um, orientation towards the heart and orientation towards what's really important to support the manifestation. So it's an entire being manifestation and not just a heady thing. Yes, and I think you're teaching a class this week, if you're listening to this on um, as it's coming out, this first week of January, you're teaching some nonlinear classes around that. Uh, it's one of the techniques, actually, or a variation of that is one of the techniques we teach in our nonlinear movement method teacher training, which is a training we're actually offering this spring uh, to train people to become uh, better practitioners of nonlinear, but also to be able to lead classes and facilitate, you know, small groups or large groups uh, in nonlinear. One of the techniques actually there, call it's called calling in, is particularly oriented to this, as you put it, embodied manifestation. But I also believe you're teaching some nonlinear classes this week, uh, some general audience nonlinear classes, really focused on this theme. Is that right? Yeah, this week I'm actually teaching two classes on calling in specifically because it is one of the modalities within the nonlinear movement method, and. Uh, this week, specifically, we're working with the embodied manifestation of goals or of resolutions, right? So as a means to support that. And as always, they're taught so that uh, people in Europe, the UK, the US and Australia and Asia can uh, participate. So there's two different dates where we're doing kind of a um, mind, heart and body process where it's not just a regular nonlinear session, but kind of a special offering so people can work with embodied manifestation. And that's uh, uh, happening this week and we'll post those links below. And also for those of you who are listening to this after it's out, uh, we'll do these on occasion where we'll offer free nonlinear sessions for people to uh, check out what it's all about. Yeah, I think that's great and so timely because it's New Year's. I think it's really timely to do it this week. Uh, yeah, about that, we talked about embodied manifestation, but also I think there's a power in coming together as a group, uh, whether it's for a one-off thing or or joining some sort of a cohort uh, or a class that goes on. We, we offer a lot of those classes, like for instance, our 12, uh, 12 facets classes, our study group classes, our teacher training classes and courses and so on. And these, you know, you, you, you journey through a curriculum of material sometimes over the over a whole year and sometimes you know shorter three six months something like that and there's a power actually to, to, to outsourcing i think one's uh, an aspect of of one's i suppose new year's resolutions into those kind of courses you can ride the momentum of the group you can join the slipstream of the of the container set out by the facilitator so you know we we definitely have that in mind we have that sort of sense of uh, we want to offer things that people can hook into. So then the other thing that I, I really wanted you to talk about today um, is how do you create daily habits, right? Because one of the things we know is that in order to achieve a goal or follow through with a resolution, um, there has to be habits, new habits built or new behaviors built or new attitudes built. And that's something that, of course, um, we encounter a lot in both our teacher trainings, as well as in people doing long-term study groups or things like that, where there is practice being built and capacity being built. And that's one of your specialties and something that you are very, very good at. And actually, you also teach specifically, right? How do you, how do you get a daily practice? And so uh, with that said, I would like to hear a little bit about how you go at that. How do you slice it? What are the things people 
can uh, do so that they have daily habits that then allow them to achieve their goals? Yes, uh, practice is a passion of mine, actually. And get a daily practice. You said that that phrase. That's the name of the of my course. Actually, get a daily practice. And you asked me to mention that uh, before we started recording. Um, I run it every year, and it's um, we've just begun. Actually, first of January. You can still join. It's a free course oriented around meditation, and the idea it's a four week course. And I'll say a little bit about some of the principles behind it as well. But just to give you a sense of the structure, it's a four week course. And we start off in the first week meditating five hours, five, five minutes a day, not five hours a day. We st- and we start out meditating five minutes a day, and then we add five minutes in the second week, ten minutes. In the third week, we add five minutes, fifteen minutes, and then the fourth week we add another five minutes until by the end we're meditating twenty minutes a day. Now I should say that some people they just stick to the five minutes a day throughout the whole month. You don't have to add it, but that's the structure of the course. And each week there's lecture content that's released, a guided meditation that matches the length of time. So week one's guided meditation is five minutes. Week two's guided meditation is 10 minutes and so on, each time a different technique. So you're learning the different meditation techniques and also perhaps more crucially, uh, focusing on what does this, what does it mean to get a daily practice? How do we establish uh, a, a habit like that? Uh, also each week we have uh, a weekly Q&A, which you can join on Zoom or send your questions in or just watch the replay so that's available now and you can we'll put a link to that in the show notes below of course you can also find it on guruviking.com and like i said it's it's one of my great passions uh, practice and in that first week we in the lecture we discuss some key ideas about how to build a practice and 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 also some mistakes people make and the first one is to find a golden minimum to find a golden minimum. Most people, when they set out to establish some sort of a habit, or they set out to establish some sort of acquire a practice like, you know, meditation, or of course applies to other practices too. uh, We we set our practice up uh, ambitiously or aspirationally. We think, well, what sort of practice would I like to have? And then we sort of try to do that. But I think that's a mistake. I think it's much smarter in a sense to set a practice up a golden minimum that's so easy so that you can do it even if you're tired you can do it even if you've run out of time for that day of course you can do more than your golden minimum and that's another principle we talk about in that first lecture about letting your practice breathe sometimes your practice expands and you should you could do more than your golden minimum it's just your minimum it's not your maximum but other times uh, your practice you have to let it contract so having a gold minimum that's very easy to do means that on those days when it's difficult to get practice done you have internal or external or life pressures and things like that, or even perhaps a waning of one's enthusiasm for the day, you can collapse back something to uh, collapse back to something that's very manageable. And if you can kind of get that goal minimum, which is almost always much less than you think it is. So if your ambition is to meditate you know, ten minutes a day, then your goal minimum should be five, you know, or or one minute or something like that. So easy uh, that you can even do it if you don't feel like it, and then you can sort of build from there. And if you're able to do that, then you can maintain a through line, a kind of silver thread of continuity. And there's something about continuity that's powerful. There's something about continuity. It's like an interest savings account. Um, Time compounds uh, the value, if you want, or the return of your practice. So if you practice, let's just say to make it easy, 10 minutes a day for a month, let's say that's 300 minutes. 
if you do that each day, what you get back, it's not 300 minutes worth of practice. It's something like 350 minutes or so. You get a kind of bonus payment in return because consistency has a kind of compounding effect. It enhances the practice and you get more, I suppose, return for your investment practice-wise than if, say, you were to do uh, you know, fewer sessions with, with a longer time. So these are the sorts of things we talk about. We talk about uh, establishing a gold minimum so you can maintain the through line, letting your practice breathe. So in times of enthusiasm and expansion, you can grow your practice and increase it. But also in, in times where life's changes, priorities change, demands are different, you can shrink it back to something that's manageable, but you can keep going. You're not wedded to expanded practice. Some people, they work up to say meditating, whatever, 20 minutes a day, and then they feel, well, I can't possibly go back to five minutes because I'm going backwards. But that's not how it works. Practice is cumulative. It's not about how much you do each day. It's about that continuity, fundamentally. And so we talk about that sort of thing, you know, letting the practice breathe. Um, and we talk about this also this idea of time compounding the efforts, like water uh, crashing against the rocks. Soft water, even that soft water over, over a long time can uh, erode and reshape the rocks. So that's one of the great secrets of practice is to find uh, something you can do that's easy to continue doing and then let time compound one's efforts. So that's the Get a Daily Practice course. And you can sign up for that on guruviking.com or indeed we'll put the links in the show notes. It's really fun. And a big part of the, why that's fun, that particular course, there's a Facebook group and I live stream each day um, meditations uh, to do with, you know, however long we're practicing that week. And there are other people in the group and uh, there's a great camaraderie there as well. So, yeah, it's things like that, I think, that are great to get involved with. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, the one thing that you said there that I found super helpful and that I've actually learned from you over the years of you teaching this, you know, and is that um, even you always say, you know, to, to our students, even if you're essentially just grazing the cushion in now we're talking meditation, but you're just grazing the cushion with your behind, right? And that still counts. That I found super useful when it comes to working out, for instance, and that's really made a big difference for me personally is to kind of uh, know that any anything I do is better than not doing it. And very often when I'm super busy or I don't really feel like it, um, I do, you know, in my mind, do this kind of grazing of the cushion in the saying, okay, I'm just going to do a bunch of squats very quickly. Um, you know, it's it, even if it's just whatever, you know, four sets of 10, and then I'll just move on, but I've done something. And very often, once, of course, I've done that, then I want to do the rest because now I'm there and I'm in it and my body is online and, and things like that. But even if I can't do it, I still feel at the end of the day, I've done that. And that has an incredible uh, emotional or psychological effect. Um, because one of the other things, uh, of course, that we haven't really mentioned yet that goes with, you know, goal achieving and resolutions is good lists, right? Having lists and having things written down and having visuals where you can tick things off. And so I find it super useful that even if I've just grazed the cushion, I can check that off and I can see the through line. And I think that's super important. And then the other thing you said that I think uh, is also really worth mentioning 
uh, is you were saying, you know, people are kind of getting together in the Facebook group and it's this cool thing that you, that where people are kind of connecting that whole peer support aspect that's really uh, making a huge difference when somebody wants to establish a practice or wants to achieve a goal, both in the kind of peer support as in the camaraderie, but also um, sometimes it's nice to be a bit competitive as well in the sense that you hear other people do it and you're like, I can do that. Why shouldn't I be? So it's both the, the actual supportive aspect and then it's the more um, being kind of in a situation where you're playing with how can you actually further yourself or achieve something. And both of those are really good, however you want to slice it. Yeah, that's right. And willpower is precious. We only have so much of it. So sometimes interfacing with a structure that you join uh, is, is very useful. You can outsource. All you've got to do is show up. There's a class you show up to. There's an assigned practice. You do it. And you put your energy into just simply showing up, into simply being there and let let the course kind of carry you in those other aspects. And, you know, you, of course, can do it all yourself. You can set your own schedule and choose your own practices. I mean, we're all capable of doing that. Uh, but we have a lot of other things to do and a lot of other demands on our energy and willpower. So I think it can be smart to really get in a slipstream of a course like that. And so anyway, that's Get a Daily Practice course. And perhaps to finish, you could say a little something about what we've got lined up in this first half of 2023. I know we've got uh, ongoing groups that meet on a monthly or quarterly basis. We've got in-person retreats, in fact, uh, in Australia and Portugal and, uh, and and the US. And we've we've even got teacher training. So maybe, I don't know if you could give us just a quick list of what we've got coming up in Q1, Q2 at MichaelaBohm.com. Yeah, so I'm actually really excited about 2023 because we have both uh, live online and in-person retreats uh, for the first time in a while in-person retreat. So the year starts with Wild Women's Circle teacher training, and that teacher training is specifically geared towards people who want to teach women's groups. And, and it's really an amazing and full-on turnkey training. Then next up is 12 facets of union and 12 facets happens once a month. So this has a through line through the entire year. And this year we're looking at uh, male archetypes, female archetypes and their myth and with that the story of their relationship. And in that particular program, we're really working with archetypes as a means of learning and uh, embodiment. Then after that, uh, we're going to Australia, which I'm super excited about. We're doing a live, uh, meaning in-person uh, retreats. Uh, first, a five-day immersion called the Elemental Heart in Venus Bay. And then a day-long um, kind of introductory workshop where we're working with the pleasure body. It's called Awakening the Pleasure Body. That's in Melbourne. So Venus Bay, Victoria, and then Melbourne, uh, Victoria. So that's happening in um, the end of uh, February and the beginning of March. And then from there, uh, we'll start study groups. Uh, the study groups are uh, long form, very specific engagements into uh, the material of my lineage, as well as embodiment and um, a lot of learning around both the subtle uh, pleasure body and the physical pleasure body. So that starts in March. 
Then next up also in March is uh, nonlinear movement method facilitator and practitioner training. And that's really uh, one of my favorite programs because we teach you how to actually teach nonlinear, but also it really uh, shows all the, all the building blocks of nonlinear movement and how to use it in uh, daily life. So that's happening in March. Then we're going to Portugal and that's super exciting because we found this amazing retreat center uh, in nature and we're running first a study group retreat for anyone who's ever done a study group with us and then uh, public uh, immersion, uh, the awakening, the pleasure body immersion where for five days, this is long, you know, like a long form engagement with the body, the heart, the mind, how, and we'll be in a residential setting in nature with extended hours. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then from there, there'll be a Wild Woman's Way intensive in Ojai at my place in California. And uh, there's also going to be a men's group. So this year we're running a men's group again. And maybe Steve, you want to say a few things about that um, as well. Yeah, the men's group is, is a year-long program. It meets four times over the year. Our theme this year is the elements. So each meeting we're going to take uh, an element, uh, you know, earth, water, fire, air, that sort of thing. And we're going to examine that on, on several levels. We're going to look at it uh, metaphorically. We're going to look at it in terms of relationship styles, life strategy styles, conflict styles. We're, we're also going to look at it in terms of embodiment practice, meditation practice, energetic practice, and so on. So we're using this classic schema of the elements uh, as, our, as our theme of exploration uh, this year in the men's group. Very happy that men, men's groups are back too. And that's just up to May. So there's a lot more to come in 2023. The place to go to find out all about it is michaelabohm.com and you can find the workshops information there. Of course, we'll include links in the show notes below as well. Well, Michaela, do you have any last words uh, for our New Year's podcast before we close? <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. And uh, all that remains uh, is to wish you all a happy new year and much success with your resolutions and practices and we'll see you again soon.